When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Different backgrounds, David. Different backgrounds. I know. Yours isn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all got exactly the same background. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> well, uh, it's day four. It's the evening of day four. Um, it's been... It's been really hard. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm not going to moan about it because I'm honestly, everyone, loads of people are in such a worse situation and I haven't been, I mean, I'm a little bit unwell, but beyond that, I'm fine. Um, no, it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been a bit maddening, David. I'm not going to lie. And the fact that, the fact that I'm only, I'm not even halfway through is, is kind of boggling. I get out of here. Yeah. I get out of here. We're recording this on Saturday evening. I get out of here next Saturday morning. And I run. For, oh I, my I god! When you put it like that, it's kind of insane, isn't it? That's that's insane. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what is? Tell me about the kind of the practicalities of it. How are you? How is the Airbnb kind of people, the owners, about the situation? Well, I hope they're not listening to, and I hope they're not listeners to Never Strays Fire. It would be an extraordinary coincidence if they were. Um, it's possible you're in West Flanders. I do feel. I do feel. I'm in East Flanders, which might make a difference. East Flanders. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's that's. Yeah, should be safe. Should then. be safe. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. but I, I I do feel that they might have been a bit more supportive. I mean, in some ways they've been great. So they have extended the stay by three days. But you know, I'm paying for that. That's fine. I don't know. Mm. They haven't let me know the ramifications of the other guests who, who may or may not have um you know, been been bunked off and how long that booking might have been. So I do, I feel for them slightly on that, on that score, but I don't know if it's been that disruptive. On the other hand, um, they literally live two floors below me. They know I've come down oh. with COVID and I, I, I don't know if I was in that position. I might have just dropped a note through the thing or sent a WhatsApp saying, is there anything we can bring you? You know, like, yeah, um, nothing, huh? Absolutely. Not like a, not like a nice plate of lasagna or, I, I mean, nothing. You know, nothing or the, wow. and, and not even the offer of anything. Um, you should go full Steve McQueen and just get like a, get somebody to go, get on Amazon, get a, a tennis ball delivered and just sit on the floor and bounce wall it. Ball. Get a wall, wall ball. Yeah, just wall ball yourself. <laughs> just sitting on the floor. But, unfortunately, my landlord isn't the guy directly underneath me. There's another, uh, yeah. there's another interlo, there's an innocent victim sort of direct okay. so he's two floors yeah. down collateral damage collateral damage um, but uh, mm. listen it's fine my delivery arrived eventually that stressed me out because i really would have been mm. i would have had to so, so so how are you dealing with food then again so so you are getting food deliveries now well i got one late last night do you have a, a kitchen yeah i've got a little kitchenette thing it's fine i mean it's got some pots and pans so i made a leek and potato soup today and um and i had i got mm. some fresh fruit delivered you know i like fruit i got some fresh fruit then delivered fruit. uh Late last night it arrived, so I actually for breakfast didn't have bread. 
which was nice. I couldn't have had mm. bread anyway because I'd completely run out of bread. So, um, so I had some fresh fruit and that felt like I was, it did me a bit of good. <laughs> it's more of a psychological thing now that it's beginning to bite. I've done, I've done three mm. relatively good days of writing though, which has been, uh, have you ever seen Escape to Alcatraz? Yes. Um, you know how he has to make a great big hole in the wall with a hair clip or something? What is it? He's got some tiny little thing. Yeah, he just scrapes away the, you know, bit by bit, he kind of, yeah. kind of ferrets away the, the, the um, breeze block with a little mm. tiny pointy thing. And um, that's the stage I'm at with my book. Like, I wanted to generate all this exciting new material, but actually I've, all I've had to do is go back to the material I've been gathering dust on the shelf. And I, at some mm. point I have to do this anyway and kind of box it into shape. But man alive, now I've started, I suddenly realise quite how labyrinthine a process it is and how long it's going to take. And so at first I got terribly impatient with that. And only over the course of today and yesterday did I realise, actually, don't rush at it. <clears throat> it's kind of quality rather than quantity and work slowly and diligently and uh, you'll get there in the end. But it's a bit, it's a bit like that with my writing at the moment. That's, yeah. Well, it's lucky you got loads of time. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, to go down what have you been up to because anyway? I literally have nothing to report except for that so yeah. um, different background I different background so um, and this is probably not the best thing to be saying because we've crossed the border into fr- and not because we're allowed to do all this I'm just saying for your mental health yep. with a family yep. we've gone to visit another family friends yep. and they have this amazing big um, I say it's a kind of old old big old farmhouse on the side of a mountain in, in the foothills of the French Pyrenees that they've spent wow. a few years working on. And it's, they've got gites, oh. beautiful like gites connected to it. And they've got kids the same age as ours. Brilliant. And they're, they're English, Matt and Ali. And so... No, the are they listeners? Are they, do they together. listen to Never Strays Far? No, they will do after this okay. one because I said I'd tell people about La Tayed ah, and okay. we'll, we'll put it in the show notes because this is a place that people must come to. Cause it, and they've... They kind of farm all the land around. They they're using wood from the mountainside to do all the work here. I mean, it's very um, it's hyper sustainable. Wow! Because that's what they believe. Well, in. they but they actually farm it's, it's it themselves. They, they do the farming themselves. They do the farming. They got animals here, and they they do um they do all the carpentry. They do the all the they literally fell the trees and dry them out and do everything. It's pretty amazing. Do you know what? Yeah. Years ago, I th- yeah. So, sorry, carry on. Yeah, yeah. go on. No, 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 I'm just saying, so we'll put it in the show notes, La Tayed, yeah. and it's definitely worth checking out because the cycling around here is amazing. In fact, footnote to that, Amélie-les-Bains, Amélie-les-Bains, which is the nearest town, yeah. um, is where I did my first ever professional training camp. So that, and that was in 1997. That was going to be my next question. Where can I relate this to in terms of Tour de France geography? Because actually, I think you spoke about that training camp in commentary during the Tour de France this year, didn't You're you? You're right. Was it the Andorra yeah, stage? I did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it comes, this is the road that essentially comes out probably from uh, that kind of West Pyrenees down towards the coast, back down towards Perpignan. Perpignan. Yeah. In fact, driving here today, they driving here today, they had all kind of the Tour de France kind of, as they do in the villages, a kind of Tour de France uh, little statues and different decorations were still up. Yeah. Um, quite permanent things actually, so it must come through here quite often. Yeah. But yeah, this is the road essentially down to Perpignan 
from the Pyrenees and they're up the side, one of the valleys. Now that was some, uh, you up, told up, some story about that first ever training camp with, was that with Cofidis or was it before Cofidis? Cofidis yeah. with Maurizio Fondriest. Yeah. And wow. that was, a, that was, a, that was Tony Romago, Maurizio Fondriest. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was, and where Lance, we'd, we'd been with Lance just before, but he didn't come to the training camp. He did our, our camp in Lille beforehand. But yeah, that was the old days. I mean, this just seems bonkers that we do training camps like that. And I was, was driving through and it almost, it makes me feel quite old. It also makes me realize how young I was because it's a really French village, a small town, Amélie Les Bains. And it was a really sort of French hotel we were staying in and the food wasn't very good. And so back in those days, obviously you just got what was on the menu. There was no, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, re- I remember that was uh-huh. maybe the story I was telling Maurizio Fondrius just wanted a salad and tomatoes <laughs> and he had to fight tooth and nail to get it. <laughs> I, yeah, I can still remember he wanted a big plate of tomato. He always had this kind of plate of raw tomatoes salad before his meal. Of he did. And he just had to fight tooth and nail to get it. And, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, those are, those are the days. So yeah, it's kind of weird driving through here now. Yeah. With Nicole and the three kids and coming up to visit family friend when, yeah, 24 years ago, I was here as a young pro. But isn't that the beauty of your sport? I've all, I've often felt this and felt very deeply envious mm. of, of you guys in this regard and this regard only, really, mm. apart from the phenomenal money that you were paid. Which would have been nice, um, but uh, but no. In this regard, that that because your training ground is the public road, because your stadium is 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 a mountain range, you know your your lives will eventually always permanently and forever. You're condemned to crisscrossing with your path, your, your past. You will cross paths with mm-hmm. your past like this, and uh, you know that's not without meaning, is it? Uh, um, and it's, that's kind of unique. If you had a professional basketball yeah. career behind you and you turned your back on the sport, you wouldn't accidentally end up in a basketball training ground, you know? No. I mean, you have the stadia, obviously, if you've been a football player or a basketball player. But I think for us, it's much more personal and the stories are very uh, well personal because stadia, you share it with people and they're, they're obviously kind of on an infinite loop apart from the great performances. But if I go through, through Fonramu, you know, I can see the old hotel where I jumped off and broke my foot in half. I can come through here and remember when I was here with Mauricio Fondrius when he was mentoring me. I can. There are dozens and dozens of places in Spain and France and Belgium and Italy and even Switzerland um, where you, you occasionally, and you know what I'm like sometimes. Oh, you're hopeless. We're on the road. You're hopeless. Yeah. But what's really interesting yeah. about you is you are one hopeless because you're even worse at kind of especially in the Alps, you get, you and I get horribly lost in the Alps. We never know where we are yeah. in the Alps. And, but I always imagined yeah. that you would understand, but you're simultaneously hopeless, but also you're amazing. Cause sometimes, sometimes every now and again, you'll be triggered into completely remembering yeah. everything and you'll suddenly go, Oh my God, I remember this. And then, then it'll all be in high definition to you. Yeah. It's really weird. Cause I'll go down roads and we'll be in the car and say, I know this road. I've raced this road. And even if I've done it once, and especially if it's been a time trial or a heated race or a training camp, we were doing it repetitive, repetitively. It's it's ingrained and it just from flashes back, and it's it's the, the kind of the Prussian Madeleine moment. It is, and where all of a sudden exactly. it just you have this absolute flashback in time, and because normally they were such strong emotional points and intense points, all of a sudden they haven't gone. They've just been 
they've been dormant. Yeah. And it's 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 the visual triggers. It's a piece of road. It's a it's a building. It's a, a just a, a vista. And you're like, oh, whoa, yeah, I've raced here. And then you have to start putting the pieces together. And it, yeah, so you're right. It's it's really fascinating. And that's as you say, it's a great privilege because I, I often use the term. It's it, I like the term ghosts, ghosts of the past. And you kind of can I can see many ghosts of my past and going through these places. And it's like, oh, that. Imagine if that kid knew 24 years later he'd be driving through here with his wife and three kids, kind of with everything that had gone on ahead. Where do you, where do you stand yeah. on that, just generally? I mean, it's slightly drifting, straying away from the cycling for a change. Um, kind of unpick, you know, picking over the bones of your past and actually looking back now that you've got a few decades under your belt, David, and you're, I wouldn't say mm. catching me up, but you're almost in the same bracket. Um where do you feel so i went i mean a good few years ago a long time ago i went back to the the house i'd kind of grown up in until i was about nine Mm. and i was quite looking forward to it i took the kids there when they were quite little as well i don't know why i did that they wouldn't have been interested but they came along as well and actually i kind of found the thing upsetting um and i I, I, you know, I didn't vow never to come back i just knew i never wanted didn't want to go back and i have kind of extended that across across the piece really i don't really like going back to places that meant a lot at the time and where i live mm. right now means the world to me not necessarily my airbnb in Nineveh, but uh, where i live in london means the world to me your, your other my, home. Other, my second home if you like um but um but but but, <laughs> but already i feel already i feel kind of horrified <clears throat> that one day I probably won't be living there and that I will remember, you know, because this is the neck of the woods. I raised a family mm. um, and that I will, and, yeah. that I will, and that, that it'll become a memory and it'll be a place to maybe revisit in a ghostly fashion. And I'm not sure I'll mm. ever want to do that. So I'm kind of clinging on to the reality of it while it's there and dreading its unreality, if, if that makes sense. A bit like a, it, it, when you get those very warm days in Britain in early October and you go and it's 24 degrees and sunny and you go, this is lovely, but you can't really enjoy it because you know, it's just a trick and that right <laughs> round the corner, you know, is, is that just yeah. me? Do you, do you know what I'm getting at there? Well, no, I, I, I do. And I'm going to use a really terrible kind of uh, analogy. Uh, uh, is, <laughs> but it's very bag on is when I was an ambassador for Maserati, <laughs> uh, I, I used to get met yeah i used to get met at airports and they'd give me have somebody waiting there with a key to a car they did they uh, literally car. did and you've I, fallen a long way in a very short space of time. i've fallen a long way but <laughs> i can remember never truly enjoying it because i knew it wouldn't last that's it that is it that is exactly it yeah that's exactly it. i was like one day this is never gonna so you're kind of you're you're in the euphoria of the moment and it's amazing but at the same time there's a melancholic air to it because it's it's not this isn't going to be forever it's false it's false and temporary but, it, but going back to i think yeah. i think the the point of what you were saying <laughs> I, I suppose for me it's different is um because i've lived in what, six different countries and always bounced around yep kind of my life is just a bunch of vignettes in many ways and I, I suppose I'm the closest to it, like you are with your home and Lewis. I was going to say you've the, been in Girona. You've been in Girona a long time now. Yeah. So now it's kind of, and that's been a deliberate uh, move and decision to to instill that. 
is to create. And there's, so for me, it's very much, there's no melancholy to it in Trona because it's, it's a good, it's been a good term. We've managed to push longer than anybody else there and we will be there for a significant longer period of time. And if we get through another 10, 15 years, then the kids will have grown up in the same place their whole, their, their whole, well, uh, their journey to young adulthood, which was always the target with that one. And, but I, I, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm a romantic. I love going back and visiting places and seeing it. It fills me with joy when you go back. I do. I kind of like it. I think it's, I think it's good. It allows you to, to enjoy the moment more and, and appreciate it. I mean, let's face it. We don't go back to places where we had a bad time. That would be a grave error. But it, so if we do, if you go through somewhere and it's, you got bad memories, you tend not to dwell on it. Yeah. And often, actually, the very nature of the human nature at its very core, we we're very good at not building stories around bad memories. Yeah, and kind of we try to block them out. Yeah. So it's I I think it's actually normal. I'm I'm a big fan of going and revisiting Are places. You? Often you don't find, you go back. You there. don't often you go. You don't find that it's a kind of an affront that um that the your memories have stayed um where they are almost by definition they've kind of been locked in time that's the point of a memory um and yet the reality of the place has moved on so that you can go back to a house that you once lived in you know and it's got it's, mm. it's been sold and bought three times and uh someone's mm. someone's built a, a, a yeah. you know what i mean it's been altered by people other than you and that's that is yeah. kind of that brings you up cold doesn't it or it does me it kind of i, su- I suppose hong kong cured me of that because Living in Hong Kong when I did in the 1990s, from well, early 1990s to mid 1990s, and it was magical. It was we lived in this out, went to school in Kowloon, and also out in Sai Kung, where it was still a fishing village and a beautiful place. And then I left in 95, and then every year I went back. But even while I was there, they were building. It used to just be a single. B road down to where we lived. Yeah, the pace of change. When I first got unreal. there, yeah. And then while I was there, they built like a motorway down there, <laughs> and I used to mountain bike down that as they were building it because it was empty and building ramps. And then that turned into this, and then the skyscrapers where that village once was. Yeah. And uh, you become, in a way, now go to Hong Kong. And at first, it's kind of shocking, and it's it's a little bit sad because it's just become it becomes a metropolis everywhere and that's very much china but then at the same time you think oh, how lucky were we to have lived there when it was small yeah. and quiet yeah. and it's just been eradicated like literally just doesn't exist anymore yeah. and so i think that that puts a bit of perspective because i think that's what it's like over there and it does so i think there is that that melancholic air cuz sometimes you realize all that's left is what's in your head the actual material objects have gone yeah and the actual, which is, which can, but I, I think the word melancholic is the best. Cause it's not sad. It's just, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's moved on. It's going to move. And is the, that's the kind of the existential, I, if, as long as you don't turn it into existential crisis, I think it's an existential benefit because you're like, you realize how important it is to, yeah. to enjoy the moment. I mean, I mean, think about where you are now. This place is going to be embedded in your head now. Yeah. But unfortunately you're never going to know what it looks like from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be it's true. Huh? It's going to haunt you. It's true because I have to leave so early next Saturday morning to catch my train home from Brussels that I'm going to leave before daylight. 
and I arrived in the darkness as well. So I've, I've now <laughs> literally never seen it. <laughs> that see, that's this is like an anthropological experiment. Mickle would love this. Like, can a place mean anything if, if you've, you've never, never actually seen it? Seen it? <laughs> There's a tree falling in a wood, etc. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. perhaps. So, yeah, um, so, I mean, maybe that's just one yeah. of my slightly dark um, and unpopular opinions or views that I obviously seem to be breeding in my isolation here. The, the other one being, just to return it to cycling, David, the other one being cyclocross. Um, so, as I alluded to in my uh, previous pods, my ambition had been to go to the Boom Super Prestige. Um, meeting today to watch the cyclocross and instead i was restricted that, and that would have that would have been amazing because that was going to be a pure um yeah. well first time never strays far be officially accredited i know it would have been a landmark moment official that media been, that would have been a pivotal excuse moment. me i'm with the media official media i'm with the media could you you could have walked around yeah. you could have walked around with your microphone you should have got a little satchel to hold your recording device in that was attached to your belt. There might have been a little mixed you zone at like the end headphones. where I could have gone to, you know, Wat Van Art and... Oh, you, you could know, like, have done. Wat, with my headphones on, like this, like you're seeing me on the Lan- circle. Like, like Wat, uh, just yeah. a word for never strays far. <laughs> Wat. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's desperately trying to, trying to look at your press pass, that kind of, yeah. you know, sometimes... Where, Can I be bothered with do that? that? You'll see them trying to... Who, who is this... <laughs> Looks like an internet guy. <laughs> Who <are> you? What? <laughs> Looks like an internet guy. <laughs> oh, not an internet guy. He's an internet guy. <laughs> he's obviously on his own. He's made, you know, he's got headphones on, which is always a sign. He's a vidiot. Um, uh, so, but, <laughs> but there's lots of internet uh, guys. In, so did the, did I don't mean to be dismissive of internet guys, because uh, why not? They're going to, They've done pretty well, internet guys. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. And also, you know, we're all dead. Our medium is dead. So they're all going to take over the world. Yeah. But they, yeah. Um, but there are, there are quite a lot of internet guys in cycling, which are quite lovely. Um, so you did the next best thing and uh, watched it on Belgian TV. But it wasn't really the next best thing because it, like all these things, you know, um, t- to be there is everything, I suspect, with cyclocross. You know, mm. we were talking about it, how how we imagined it being, you know, smell the mud and all that sort of thing. And by the way, um, this is a one-off um, Never Strays farmyard, isn't it? It's just to reflect the mud that I would have been experiencing. Mm. And Vito's done some great artwork for yeah. this. But um, yeah, just to smell the mud and felt the rain and, you know, drunk the Belgian beer and listened to the Belgian pop and all that would have been cool. I would have enjoyed that. Mm. Maybe not every weekend, but once in my life I would have... Like that, you could have bought some merch. Bought some, I would have definitely bought some merch, David. Some boom, super prestige. That would have been some amazing merch. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. And so, but it didn't happen. Um, so I did have to watch it. I couldn't even get my. I couldn't even watch it on Belgian TV, which really disappointed me. So in the end, I had to uh, not on the national channels. I, I, the landlord's given me a telly so furiously complicated. I didn't even know how to turn it on. And then on my laptop, I couldn't yeah. figure out. I just couldn't figure out. There was one paper, and then I couldn't. It wouldn't accept my card and whatever. So I had to watch it on. Um, I had to watch it. Sounds very rude. I listened to Marty McDonald's commentary um, on uh, Eurosport GCN, which is extremely good and very informative. Um, but I would have. Imp- I would have just because I'm in Flan. As I would have preferred to watch it in watched it in Flemish, obviously, um, mm. get a different twist on it. So that was my experience sitting on the couch watching both the men's and the women's race. And uh, this was my this David was my little bit of reportage.
Well, uh, David, I have finally managed to get some cyclocross on my laptop and uh, I'm watching the women's elite race and I'm watching uh, Lucinda Brandt. Uh, who just uh, had to hop off her bike at, at, at this is rather overstretching my understanding of cyclocross at a point which looked like she didn't really want to there's a lone leader off the front and uh, it's the Dutch rider Inge van der Heiden everyone is standing watching on wearing face masks uh, with umbrellas because it is pouring with rain in Belgium today it has been all day Brand is there now she's actually so steep where she is that she's barely walking using the barriers now just to get across to van der Heiden. those two are together now at the front with a five six second lead Brandt and van der Heiden now the camera's caught up with them so uh, if Brandt got a bike change there which he did it didn't cost her any time and she's still just in front of van der Heiden. so it looks to me like Lucinda Brandt is the strongest of the riders she's the world champion for heaven's sake but is the strongest of the riders out there at the moment and it looks to me like van der Heiden is just struggling to stay on her wheel at the moment that's my analysis but it's often the way in cyclocross my my brief brief and totally uh, superficial understanding of cyclocross is it's a it's like a it's a trial of strength isn't it so the strongest rider gets away and uh, we'll see we'll see and there you go so Lucinda Brand is going to take the women's race well the riders of the men's race are just lining up now the weird thing is the favourite start at the front which I don't I kind of get it but um, and I guess because Pidcock and Van Aert are just making their starts, looks like they'll have to try and work their way up through the field. They're about to start. I'm going to have to do some commentary now as they head. Now the lights go green, just like in a Formula One race, and all hurtling down this bit of tarmac road. I think there's a left-hander that they're coming to. Looks like Lars van der Haar, the European champion, along with Quentin Hermans, are going to go first and second round that first bend. And outs into the mud. Oh, brilliant. One or two of them just at the bottom of a really muddy hill. Someone loses their grip, goes down, and then there's... Because the bunch is still quite closely packed. None of them can avoid them. They just slap into them. <laughs> one by one, made me laugh. Eight and a half minutes into this race, he's absolutely flying, Pidcock. He's running second at the moment with Van Aert on his wheel. So the big kind of showdown between the two stars that everyone was looking forward to. Looks like it's about to happen. Oh, Van Aert's just smashing it off the front now. Big hill. Don't know what they call them. There's probably a technical word in cyclocross. Some sort of mound, muddy mound. He just took the opportunity to absolutely smash it up the hill. And he's he's put gap now into everybody else. Uh, So, big, big move. Tonarts has properly just slid in the mound on his ass. Oh, it nearly takes that Pidcock as well. But that was, yeah... He was running second at the time. Van Aert was, uh, had just gone clear of him again and, um, yeah, pre- properly slapped down on his bum, basically, in the mud. Well, this is over, isn't it? Wout Van Aert, uh, lap three of seven. Um, no one else is in sight. And this is my slight problem with cyclocross because while they're all bunched and it's all frenetic, great fun but then when it all stretches out and just becomes individual riders the gaps seem to only grow really very seldom have I seen gaps kind of notably closing so kind of self-defining the strongest ride off and uh, once you've seen how muddy it is I don't know I just don't know how interesting it is after that and the 
other thing is that these guys are amazing riders. I mean, their bike handling is incredible. Obviously, their strength is just phenomenal. It, they are amazing. And yet, somehow, um, the discipline in which they have chosen to excel and in which they're brilliant in, it makes them look ungainly and slow. Um, and they're anything but either of those things. So Tom Pidcock's <coughs> crashed a couple of times and he's been shaking his head and he's... Uh, uh, I think it's been quite a tough comeback to cyclocross for him, from what I gather. Wavenart waves his right hand in the air and uh, pats his bike as if it were a racehorse and wins the Boom Super Prestige by a million miles. Absolutely no one near him. Just phenomenal. So, um, convincing victories for the world champion Lucinda Brandt and a stunning sort of show of force from Wout van Aert who just, his patience lasted about 10 minutes into the race. And as you know, cyclocross races for men last an hour and he just tore off the front on this, on this, I don't know what you call them in cyclocross, this ramp, this muddy hill, hillock, um, mm, which uh, there must yeah. be a word for that. I'm sure there's a word. But he was... Burgle. Yeah, it's not a burgle. It's a yeah. thing. And, but he was the only one... And the mud was so thick. He was the only one who, when he decided to go, he was just making a point. He rode up it. And everyone else got off yeah, and ran. that's what they do. Everyone else got up and ran. Yeah. Three quarters of the way up. None of them could carry on riding. They were all going so slowly, they had to stop running. Um, Van Aert was the only person hmm. who managed to ride up it first time around. And after that, it was done. And uh, in the case of the women's race, Lucinda Brandt had to catch the lone leader, drop the lone leader, and then after that, it was done. And so I, I, I posted, well, I sent a message to you, and then I posted on Twitter how, and I think I might have said this before on the pod, how I really want to like cyclocross, because I dig it, and I get why people love it, and I get why love... You dig it, you dig it. Because you're hip and cool, Ned. You dig no, it. Dig is a really terrible word that belongs to many generations, even older than mine. So I kind of slightly regret having used it, particularly because you just picked up on it. <laughs> I I understand it, uh, um, and I I I do see that uh, it must be great fun to have a go at. I do genuinely mm. get that. It must be funny, actually, and a mm. great deal of suffering, but also a lot of fun. Um, and and I completely understand because we talk about it all the time, don't we? In commentary, the you know the way it transfers onto road racing. I understand these athletes are phenomenal um, physical specimens, and what they do is opening up all sorts of new possibilities on the road. I think, mm. um, and they're very skillful. The way they stay upright, I think, if you and I ever tried it, we'd be we'd mm. be on our asses within seconds. Obviously, so there's a lot of skill mm. that goes on, but with all this all these incredible attributes, all cyclocross seems to do is make them look slow and awkward. And, hmm. and for, their, for, for that reason, I can't love it. I just think that, well, it's just making a fool out of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think, I've never really watched it apart from the 1980s grandstand Saturday BBC TV. Oh, you really haven't watched it then? Um, no, no. No. I mean, I watched occasional snippets on, on Twitter and stuff. And I guess I get they get the highlights. Apart from that video you sent to me, the, the stair shot from 
which was very good. The Masters. Which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. The Masters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think it's it's one of those ones where you have to be there. I think you have and to it's be there. more of an appreciation of the skills. I tell you what I did see today, um, this morning when I was checking social media. It looks like old little Tom Pickcock's got a pretty amazing truck with Ineos Grenadiers. What, like it's actual like truck? classic fashion. What? Like his own truck with him all on the side. Oh, uh, what? Like a cyclocross grenadier thing? Oh, let's check it out. I'll, I'll try and find it and send it to you. It's um, from. It looks like he's got his own bus. Well, why do I think it's, most of the other, apart from, like, obviously there are a few big stars there on lots of money, but a lot of those riders probably turn up in their own Ford Mondeos. And, uh, I feel like that, and they warm up by sitting on the bonnet. I don't <laughs> think it's like that anymore. <laughs> no, it probably is. Of the recent, warm up by sitting yeah, on the, the bonnet. Engines, engines running, keep it warm. <laughs> Sit on there, but I don't know. I think Wait, is that a thing? Have you, do, have you done or, that? Uh, I've done that. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen riders do like, that before. That's amazing. Yeah, if it's really cool, just sitting there, it's like, oh, stay warm. <laughs> That's probably just laziness, <laughs> but <laughs> it's better than actually riding. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I need to look more into it. Yeah, but I think the other, I mean, so I, 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 post, such a I posted my slight. Yeah disillusion with it i mean not not with it but with the, the experience of viewing it i think that's, that's you know fundamentally mm. that's the point like is this a television sport that, that can grow has it got real potential to to captivate new audiences mm. and i have my doubts because for a number of reasons one is this aesthetic thing of like oh wow that's muddy but that you can make that realization mm. and that realization lasts about 30 seconds before you go yes yeah, muddy um this this yeah. makes it really difficult for the riders to do what they're really good at. Yeah. Or, or oh, that's really sandy. Or that's really sandy. Or that's really steep. Or, oh, he's fallen <laughs> off. You know. Um, oh, it's jumps. But the, the falls are kind of like without that horrible jeopardy of falling on the road at high speed. You know, mm. they're kind of comedy falls, mm. as you heard from the re- report I did. You know, they're kind of like makes you, makes you, yeah. makes you giggle. It's slapstick stuff, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is good. Buster Keaton on a bike. Which is good because broken bones aren't a great thing. But you know, to be brutally honest, one of the one of the kind of like things that keeps you watching road racing when not much is happening is that sense of at any point right now it might all go down as it did on the you know. And I'm afraid that's just true about road racing. Um, Mm. But uh, but so a lot of people came to the defense of of, um, cyclocross on my Twitter feed, which is fine. But most of those people defending it were people who do it. You know, yeah, the hard, and and that's fine, and that's fine, but they kind of misses the point. I'm not talking about doing it; I'm talking about watching it, Um, doing it. Absolutely fine. Um, As as a as a professional watcher, as a professional, literally a professional watcher. Um, Yeah, and and someone else made a very good point to me, saying one of my I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but if you're listening to this, you made a very good point that I agree with. One of the reasons I struggle with it, they said, was that it's like a road race, but in reverse. So all the drama of the outcome is packed into the first few minutes. And then after that, it settles down yeah. and then the whole elastic stretches and you, the outcome is kind of entirely predictable. So Wat Van Aert, I didn't even realize I'm um, slapped down in the final lap today, but still had so much time that he just got up and kind of, you know, it was all done a long time before that. So there we go. I don't mean to be yeah. down on cycling because I think it's yeah. wonderful and really old and venerable. And I hope it continues and thrives. I'm just, all I'm saying is I think that best of luck to them. I, I, I think it's a little bit, yeah, crack on. I hope it continues and thrives. Best of luck to you guys. Well done on cyclocross. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. It's good. No, no, I think it's uh, it's definitely, 
it's the reason cyclocross exists like it does as one of those satellites of cycling very very imp- it is it's not but it's more than that isn't it because it is very important and i do think it has i do think that the young the new generation of riders are learning the lessons being set yeah. by van der poel and van mm-hmm. art and pidcock you know about and then mm-hmm. they don't even have to do cyclocross themselves as a discipline to absorb the lessons from cyclocross that those guys are teaching um the road races you know mm-hmm. and i think it's i think it's really significant yeah. um nice bit muddy ned yeah. you're um uh, my work. I haven't had a chance to listen to your. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't had a chance to listen to well, it, I, so I can listen to it now. Well, or no, well, don't. We can do it a couple. Of well, days. no, don't worry. Yeah, I, 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 we'll just. Um, I don't know how to play this really. So it's just. It's a fascinating. Why don't you? But we could. We could go out on it, and then and the next part, I can then I think review. I think it. that's a really good idea. So, but I need to set some context. Let's to it. do that. Like it, it's a little yeah. bit to do with writing and self isolation and all this kind of thing. Um. And uh, I, you know how it is, do you ever, with your laptop or your computer, David, at home, do you ever uh, suddenly mm. go, oh God, it's chaos. There's all sorts of folders and files mm. and, and I don't know where anything is anymore. And also the, the, yeah. the computer will give you the impression of working faster and better if, if mm. you do two things to it. One is um, with an, uh, um, an alcohol wipe, you wipe it, yeah, for yep. the keys and everything yep. on the screen that makes it work faster mm-hmm. you agree with that um and also yeah. if you tidy up your desktop so there are literally only a couple of folders left on it and maybe mm. refresh and give yourself a new what do you call it background image to your desktop yeah that also will make your computer work faster right it's just a, yeah. it gives you that impression so i sat down and kind of did the whole cracking your knuckles thing and right okay 10 days on my own got to sort out the writing thing start this banging this book into shape in the fashion of Clint Eastwood from Escape to Alcatraz. Escape from Alcatraz. Escaping to Alcatraz would be absolutely stupid. Although that's kind of what I've done by escaping to Nineveh, only to end up in prison. You have escaped to Alcatraz. Yeah, I have escaped yeah. to Nineveh. Anyway, um, so I did all that. And then I thought, I'll just tidy up my computer because there's all sorts of good. And then I've got, this, um, I've got this one little folder on my Dropbox thing that ludicrously just says writing. And then it's got lots of subsets and it says books. And it goes right back to how I won the yellow jumper. And it's got all the bit. And I, there are about, within that, there are about four or five books that I thought about developing as ideas and never came to much. One or two in particular, I've written tens of thousands of words um, but there are, you know, there's other little folders full of stuff that I just didn't know what I was ever going to do with it. And I've discovered one little folder, <laughs> um, hmm. and opened hmm. it up and it had two bits of writing in it. Um, and I loosely remembered that, uh, I went on a holiday in Madeira a couple of years ago in the middle of winter in February. And, uh, we, Catherine and I stayed in the hotel Monte Carlo and every evening, We'd sit out on the terrace, having gone and eaten in town, we'd walk up back up the hill to the Hotel Monte Carlo, sit out on the terrace, and it was cold by then, and they'd give us the thick blankets, and we'd have a cup of tea, and uh, look out over the, the, the kind of skyline of, um, what's the capital of Madeira? Funchal. And um, bit by bit, we, Kath and I, developed this, as we have the habit of doing, this kind of fictional, this, this piece of fiction in our heads, this kind of uh, story set in wherever we are. And we and I can't really remember the details of it, but one character from this story was going to be an astrophysicist um, from Funchal, from Madeira, and the other character was going to be an astrophysicist 
from the steppe, the southern steppes of the Soviet Union near the Mongolian border called Jesus called Piotr and they were somehow going to meet is... they were somehow going to meet <clears throat> in some in a tunnel in Madeira and beyond that I can't really remember what the story was the the Portuguese character was quite developed and maybe I'll have a look at the other bit of writing and see what well, depends how this goes down <laughs> see see <laughs> see what that story was all about a b testing but but I discovered this bit of writing that I must have done either when we were in Madeira or immediately having returned from Madeira or even on the flight on the way back from Madeira, which is a three and a half hour flight at least. So I think I might have done it on the flight on the way back, closed my laptop and completely forgotten about it until I purged my desktop and found this mysterious bit of writing about this astrophysicist driving on his way to work through the Soviet Union and remembering his childhood. And um, we'll play out with that because David hasn't listened to it yet. And um, if you've got any comments about that um, or any thoughts about them, we'll pick it up next time. In the meantime, you can always email us on, here's the jingle. H-I-W-T-Y-J at gmail.com. And David, here is the story of Piotr. And on this note, I'll bid you goodbye. I hope you have a lovely weekend and I'll speak to you next week. When he had reached the age of seven, he felt like he had seen it all. In fact, he had only really seen the dark wooden walls of his grandmother's dacha, the waxy surface of the lake oscillating with a white scum near the shore, the inside of his bedroom and the small kitchen of his parents' apartment near the railway station, the schoolroom, with its bleak palette of colours and mellow, marshy smells of chalk and children, and assorted other buildings, such as the church on the corner of the big avenue with the cars parked outside, the vets where they had taken the old animal to be killed gently and quickly, and the butcher, who had often picked him up and cast him jokingly towards the dumb metal mouth of the mincer. I'll turn you into sausage meat, so I will. And his mother had laughed along. I think he believes you. Do put him down. Yet he felt as if he had scoped out the world, and that not much remained to be discovered. Perhaps he wondered idly there were other white-plastered churches, other wheezing old dogs other wiry, grizzled butchers wiping bloodied hands on aprons and reaching for a sweet hidden in the pocket. But if such things existed over the horizon, they were surely only faint echoes of those he saw before him. Copies. Facsimiles. His head tilted to one side. He fixed an unfocused gaze ahead of him on the road to the distant point where the road's ribbon narrowed to meet a featureless horizon. The windscreen was livid with bright specks and the dashboard dusty rising and falling like the prow of a liner cutting a leisurely pace through calm seas. A morning sun peered uninterestedly from beneath a dirty cloud, filling his car with sudden, indifferent winter light. Piotr roused himself, pulling himself upright in his seat and shifting his weight. He raised a hand and slapped down the sunshade, missing at the first attempt and pouring at the air. But then a line of shadow fell sharply across his eyes as the sun disappeared from view. Without moving his gaze from the distant meeting of road and sky, and with sudden violence, his other hand raised a fist and brought it down heavily on the middle of the dashboard. For a few seconds a rattle stopped. Then it started again more insistently. 
From his position on top of the small circular table his mother had moved into his room one Christmas, he had just about been able to keep an eye on everything beneath him. The movement of troops heading stealthily towards the front line, where they disappeared into the dark charnel house under the bed to confront whatever fate awaited them. He noted with satisfaction the quiet industry of the figures in the supply chain, forming a link between the toy box in the corner and the lower shelves of the bookcase, cleared for storage, moving and replenishing stocks of fuel, food and ammunition. He could see from his perch, high above them, if someone was on the take or slacking on the job. He saw such minor transgressions, but took a sympathetic if world-weary view and rarely intervened. After all, God alone knew what horrors they had faced. Many of these men had themselves served in the darkness, and emerged from battle, reluctant to tell what they had seen. He owed them at least some respect. He even knew that there were small corners of his empire that willfully eluded his attention. He knew the territory had its dark zones, like the gulf between the skirting board and the heavy chest of drawers which his mother supplied every third day with crisply folded t-shirts, underpants and jumpers. The lamp's weak light could not reach this little enclave, and under the bedside table, where he could still imagine the outline of the old dog circling three times with a clatter of nails on wood before curling up. He was suspicious of this space, declaring it to be a no-go territory gone to waste. Or, still more worryingly, on top of the tall wardrobe he suspected that an entire company had gone rogue and were surviving like wild animals, launching invisible, undetectable nighttime raids just to gather supplies and survive. It was an inevitable consequence of the arena of human strife that lay before him. He understood that some would break rank. Let them but keep an eye on their numbers. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.